Well, as is often the case, I changed my mind about what I'm going to preach, and um, I said I was going to preach about Galatians, and I changed my mind, so I'm not. <laughs> uh, but today, instead, we're going to talk about, um, I want to talk about uh, my personal favorite character out of the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible, you could grab it. I'm going to put it up here, because I know some of you guys are just kind of visual, and it's easier to, 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 to follow along that way, but, but we're going to talk a little bit about this guy named Barnabas today, and and he is kind of a personal hero of mine. So I, I am sharing with you kind of what is exciting to me about Scripture. Um, and I, I like Barnabas the best, I think, out of the book of Acts because he is the least like me. Which is, is, is what I think is important. Like the Bible often shows us the image that we want to be. And Barnabas, as some of you might know, but some of you may not, his name is actually Joseph. Uh, We meet him in Acts chapter 4. We're going to actually be in Acts chapter 9, but we meet him first in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we find out we meet this guy named Joseph, and Joseph is held up as kind of this premier example of how the Christians were loving each other in those days. Because Joseph, who is named Barnabas, nicknamed Barnabas, and, and I imagine this nickname kind of emerging out of like a friendly jab. Maybe you've been sitting around with friends and somebody says something to you and you all kind of roll your eyes. It's just kind of the thing that that person says. You had a friend like that? And you know, so everybody's talking and, and, you, and Joseph speaks up and says, you know, oh, but he's a really great guy. And they're like, oh, son of encouragement, right? There he is. Because that's what the word Barnabas means. It means literally son of encouragement. So they're all sitting around and, oh, there's the son of encouragement. But it's stuck. There's like this friendly jab that, that meets him that somehow so much of what Barnabas is all about, what Joseph is all about, is that loving other people is so deeply ingrained in him that they just call him now son of encouragement. Now they call him Barnabas. And so he becomes really important, and he makes this foolish decision to sell a plot of land. If you want to hear more about that, check out the Peace and Strong Coffee podcast. You'll get extra sermon content. If you're interested in that this week, you might want to pay attention to that. But We'll go into a little bit more with Barnabas. But I want to talk about how Barnabas meets Saul, who is also later named Paul. So this can get kind of confusing, because we're talking about all of these names. But we've got Barnabas, and we've met him, and now remember Paul with me, um, we talked a little bit about him last week. Remember that his name was originally Saul and that he was a rising star in the ranks of very conservative Judaism. He was this rising star and what made him a rising star was he was willing to bring the most severe methods of persecution, stoning people to death, torture. He's willing to do whatever it takes to snuff out Christianity. In fact, he's so good that the authorities of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, say, you are really good at this torture thing, man. You are so good. You're like the rock star of torture. We should send you north. So he goes north to another city to bring about this this, um, annihilation of Christianity. And along this, this trek on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. Jesus waylays him blinds him and asks him, why are you persecuting me? Imagine getting knocked off your horse by a, blind, by a blindingly bright light and you're laying in the dust, you're shocked, you can't see anything and all you hear is this booming voice that says, why are you persecuting me? And you're like, dude, I'm on the ground. <laughs> such a crazy story. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, right? So Paul has this, has this change of life so much so that we stop calling him Saul and we begin to call him Paul, because that's how he signs his letters, as he's writing to Gentiles, as he's writing to non-Jews. 
So he has this amazing moment, this amazing experience. It blows everyone away. So much so that he has this conversion that like the next, it almost feels like the next day. It wasn't quite the next day, but it feels like a, a strange thing because all of a sudden he, Paul, is now preaching about Jesus who he was just killing people for preaching about or even believing in. And so we get this in Acts chapter 9 where we'll be today. Everybody's standing around They're wondering about this man named Paul. All who heard Paul were amazed. And they said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the same purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? So they're they're wondering what's going on. What's happening? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving to them that Jesus was the Christ. So he's engaged in these debates, convincing people to follow Jesus. And when many days passed, when many days passed, the Jews plotted to kill him now. (laughs) The role reversals, right? But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him, and they let him down through an opening in the wall, and they lowering, lowering him in a basket. So he makes this kind of clandestine nighttime escape. So he escapes, and he heads now towards Jerusalem. He heads back home. And here, when he gets to Jerusalem, you can imagine what he would be looking for first. He wants to meet up with some Christians. That's his whole life now. His whole life has been turned upside down. All of his friends are now enemies. All of his enemies are now his friends. He's, he's topsy-turvy. His whole world has been spun. And so he comes to Jerusalem to meet with them. When he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him because they didn't believe him. So On the one hand, we can put ourselves in that position really easily. If somebody has been on a mission to kill you and all the people who think like you, you might not want to invite them into your house. Just a word to the wise, right? Remember back in the day, they didn't have buildings like this. They had churches in their homes. And so when you invite somebody to church, you invite them into your home or into a home of your friend, right? So there's some fear here when Paul says, I want to join the church. He wants to come to your house and hang out with all of your closest friends. You might have a problem with that. But beyond just the fear, I want you to consider for a, fa- for a moment that maybe the Christians in Jerusalem knew the Christians in Damascus. Which means not only are they afraid of what Paul might do to them, but they remember what Paul did to their friends. Remember, he presided over the stoning of Stephen. He was there for the first Christian execution, the first martyrdom. He was there for, and and all of the people who were there, they know it. So not only do they look at him as somebody who is a clear and imminent threat to their own safety, but he is also the one who murdered their friends. If I killed your friend or presided over the death of your friend or sent your friend's wife and children into prison or jail, how would you receive me into your home? You probably wouldn't, (laughs) right? Now here's the part that I'm like, this is something else. Here Here we have Barnabas. Barnabas shows up. But Barnabas took him 
and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly the name of Jesus. So he's going to Damascus to persecute Christians and everybody's trembling, right, with fear. What's going to happen when Paul comes? Because believe me, the word has spread. And Paul shows up and instead of killing Christians, he's like, no, I'm on your side, Jesus King. So puzzling, so crazy. Barnabas stands up, brings him into the house, into the church, shoulder to shoulder, and he tells Barnabas' story for him. Imagine the courage that it took Barnabas to do that. How much forgiveness would have had to be in him in order to bring himself, to bring Paul, who killed his friends, who wanted to kill him, into church and say, this man has met Jesus and we need to accept him. I don't know if I have that kind of courage. That's, that's a lot. But it's almost as if Bar- Barnabas kind of got Jesus because that seems very Jesus-y, doesn't it? That's an adjective I just make up, Jesus-y. It just seems right. Jesus is always talking about, you know, forgive and you'll be forgiven. The same measure you measure out will be measured back to you. you know, he's, he's feeding the hungry. He's, he's, he's walking around. He's known, like when they talk about him, what do they talk about him? He's the guy that shows up at parties, and he's hanging out with tax collectors who are traitors to our nation. And he hangs out with prostitutes who are just wicked and dirty and gross. And, and like, you know, like the social memory, the memories that these people have of Jesus are all of these crazy... In fact, one of the most interesting and well-known stories is the story of the woman... Um, who's about to be stoned. And Jesus writes in the dirt. You remember this story? It's a great story. It's, it's, it's a fantastic story. Jesus is, is, is in this location, and, and they bring a woman caught in adultery to her, which is kind of a, a it's a, it's a you know, Greek word that we're moving into English, and adultery is kind of a, a generic, can kind of catch all, can catch a lot of different terms. But most likely, since she was caught in the act, she wasn't an adulteress in the sense of a woman running around on her husband, but probably a prostitute. And she has been set up. Right? I mean, this is all a setup. This is all a test. So they grab this woman and they drag her in. Of course, we wonder where is the man in this situation? Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years later we still treat people the same way? Where is the man in the situation? Doesn't matter. We got the woman here. What are you going to do with her, Jesus? Here's the test Will you apply the harshest and most stringent legal uh, punishment given to us by Moses, which is stoning her to death? Or are you going to let her off the hook? I love those, you know, you see the either or? The news will do this to you all the time. Be be wary of the news, all of them, right? They'll do this. It's either or. It's either this or it's that. It's either this or that. Jesus smells the trap, right? So he bends down in the dust and he begins to play in it, writing. Well, they press in on him, right? They press in on him. No, you got to give us an answer, Jesus. And so he stops and looks up to them and he takes a road nobody anticipated, the one of you who is without sin, throw the first stone. Right? You can just kind of hear, if you listen, you can hear the rocks dropping right, out of hands. Because the first one to throw is the first one that's got to say, I'm innocent. <laughs> hey, none of us innocent. So Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? Where are the people that condemn you? She says, no one's condemning me anymore. They're gone. He says, then I... Jesus, the son of the living God, do not condemn you either. 
go and sin no more. What a beautiful moment. What's interesting about this story is there are a gajillion scholarly books written about it because it's very bizarre. In our ancient manuscripts, some of them place them right here in John where we have them. Some of our ancient manuscripts actually put this story in Luke. And some of our ancient manuscripts don't have this story at all. And so we're all trying to figure out, where is this story coming from? How did it appear? And, and which book does it belong to? But it's, it's there, and it's breathing, and it's living, and it's happening. It's, it's going into all of these different texts. It can't be left out, even though they are not sure what to do with it, which tells me something about the memory of Jesus. Remember this, as you're reading your scripture, you are getting the memories of Jesus, Right? So, so think about it like this. When you sit around, someday I'll, when I'm dead, my kids are going to sit around and they're going to start talking about dad and the things that dad did. You ever do this with your siblings? You remember when dad would do this and he would always say that every time. Oh my goodness, that is so dad. And you laugh about it, right? And those are the things, if you wanted to tell a story about someone, you think of the story that's like quintessentially them. Like here is something that's like just Totally them. Like, you, you talk about me, you're going to talk about Star Trek. It's going to get in there somehow. They're gonna say, Do you remember when he tried to make us watch that stupid Star Trek cartoon from the 60s? Total garbage. Yes, he tried to make me do that all the time. And they're talking about, isn't that just so dad? Yes, that's just so dad, right? They're going to do that kind of thing. This is a book of that so Jesus, right? The disciples are sitting around, and they're putting pen to paper, and like, you got to know this about Jesus. Oh, man, you got to know this about Jesus. What do you got to know about Jesus? you got to know this about Jesus. He never threw the first stone, and he never encouraged us to do it either. You are invited to let go of your stones. And once you begin to let go of yours, other people can let go of theirs. And there's this massive ripple effect of grace that we could, that we could begin wherever we are, whether we're at home or at work or at school. We could, we could do this thing, guys. We could, we could bring grace into the moment while still calling people to recognize Jesus and his lordship and his call and his authority over our lives. But until people meet grace... They never really meet Jesus. And that's what we're called to remember. This is, this is Barnabas remembering and putting it into practice. You remember Jesus said these things. These are all insane things, aren't they? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is God's eternity. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and, uh, for, and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is God's eternity, right? Theirs is heaven. And there's this inconceivable thing. Like we look at this and you look at the world and you look at success and you look at your life and you look at 
TV and you look at what you're given in magazines, you look at your entire world, this and the world don't match up. And so it's really hard for us as, as Christians to even get our minds around Jesus. What does it even look like to say, blessed? How, what does it even look like to be merciful? What does it even look like to be meek, to be a peacemaker, to be pure in heart? It's hard to wrap our minds around it, but here is a moment. Here is a moment where Barnabas has a chance to dream of a better world. Wouldn't it be a better world if our greatest and most vicious adversary was brought face to face with the living God and transformed by it? Doesn't it just scream the truth of grace, the truth of Jesus? And Barnabas knows that if no one stands in the gap between Paul who has fallen so far, and the church, which is so deeply afraid, but so holding grace, like the church, you guys, you hold grace. What does Paul say? Paul himself later on says, you are a treasured jar of clay. And God takes that and he puts his treasure inside. So the church is holding this grace. And here's Paul needing this grace. Somebody has to stand between the two and say, one, meet other. Meet grace. But that is so risky. It's so risky. If you would be an agent of grace, if you would be the one who is the first to forgive, if you would be the one to drop your stone, you are the one with the most to lose. It is the most threatening thing that can happen because if you hold your stone, you got some protection, don't you? But when you drop it, it's gone. And so we are exposing ourselves to an immense amount of vulnerability, which is why the Bible talks so much about faith and hope and hanging on to Jesus. Because we sing these, this song, and we were singing, I can't remember exactly line, Paul will correct me, but it's something like, uh, I'll stand firm, I won't shake. And I'm like, dude, I'm shaking like a leaf. I'm shaking like a leaf. This is terrifying stuff. But it's true. And it's real. And it's the only thing that has the hope and potential to bring about transformation. And that's what we're here for. We're here to meet something real. Because all week you have been spoon-fed fake things. And here you are, hearing real things. The things that matter. And so that's my challenge to you this morning. My challenge to you is to, to look at Barnabas and to say to yourself, all right, who around me is no one else willing to stand up for? Who around me will no one else forgive? Who around me will no one else think the best of? Will no one else step up towards? Will no one else say, you know what, um, I'm happy to see you today. I, who can you stand in for? Because we're given this moment of grace. We're given this moment of power. We're given this moment of, of real transformation but it has to be put into practice or it's just words on a page. And Jesus is calling us to put it into practice. So we've already given in to foolishness. We've already given in to the idea that God is always choosing the more unexpected path. We're expecting God to, to do the unexpected because we're the ones who worship Jesus. We're the ones who worship the crucified and risen Lord. And you'll remember with me that he called us to that same path, to that same path, because that is the path of grace. 
I'm drawn as we come to conclusion. I, I think of Paul in this whole story and what it might have been like for him. Woo! Um, that was on camera. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I think about Paul and his experience. Just put yourself in his, in his experience for a moment. What it would have been like for him to go into a church that, like, I don't know how, what the time for, let's say a month or two before, he would have gone in and dragged people out by their hair and stoned them in the street. And now he is going in to meet them and say, I want to be your brother. Or even better put, I should put it differently, you don't get to choose who's your brother, church. I sh- you don't get to choose who's your brother and sisters. Jesus chose that, right? I am your brother. And Barnabas is standing in the middle, and I just think, what a beautiful picture that if we, church, could grab a hold of, we could really make a difference in somebody's life. I think of Paul as he is speaking, because many years later, as you know, he becomes the voice, and the outcome of this whole story is just incredible. So Paul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, and he spoke up and he disputed with the Hellenists, and even though they were seeking to kill him, right, they, they I just read the wrong spot. That was on camera too. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were being built up because they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and they multiplied and all that happened because of Paul. All that happened because of him and all that happened because of Barnabas' risk. But I want to close with this because this is a beautiful line. You can stand as we, as we get ready to sing our last song. But this is Paul thinking back and I, I just, for whatever reason... I was thinking, I wonder if he's looking back and remembering Barnabas standing in the gap for him, but this is the kind of outcome that we could have if we could initiate that kind of mercy upon one another. Paul says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called into this one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanksgivings in, with thanksgiving in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. Let it be so. Let's stand as we sing. We already did. Let's sing.